0: Right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Bible Guys. Um, as always, uh, my name is Rick Klein. I'm joined here with Jerry Hullinger. It's good to have you here, Jerry. Good to
1: be here, Rick. Good to see you.
0: Yeah, let's uh, get right into today's passage. Um, Jerry, what is today's text that we're going to be considering?
1: Well, this was actually kind of um, suggested by a listener, and it was sort of in a different context. He was talking about how to get rest from his newborn baby. And then he brought up, he misapplied correctly this, uh, Hebrews passage, which I think I know who it is. And I, so he, he probably did this on purpose just to kind of poke at us, Yeah. but we can't help him with the baby thing, but yeah. we can address this passage in Hebrews three and four that talks about rest. Well, a lot of our listeners are turning to that passage. If you're, if you're able to do
0: that, um, I got a lot of these too. So when we had our first kid, I got a, a a card as like a celebratory card for, for the birth of your child. And it was um, the passage from first Thessalonians that said, um, we shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed. And uh, (laughs) I was, I appreciated that. It was totally out of context, but totally appreciated the joke. It was very accurate. All right. So we're in Hebrews chapter four. Um, Where should we start reading in this passage specifically?
1: Well, we're in three and four Okay, is the total warning. Right. Um, I think
0: what I'll do is, if it's okay, I'll start in verse 7 of chapter 3. Um, yeah, that's good. And then that's what awesome. I'll do from there is after I read verse 11, um, I'll skip to chapter 4 and okay. go ahead and, and begin reading through uh, that passage. Okay.
1: Hebrews, right, chapter,
0: Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years therefore i was provoked with that generation and said they will always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways as i swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest and then in chapter 4 he says therefore while the promise of entering the rest his rest still stands let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it for good news came to us just as to them but the message they have heard did not benefit them Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way. um, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. from his let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account
1: yeah that's a that's a long passage and i think it's helpful to particularly with the book of Hebrews, to maybe start out with a general viewpoint of what's going on in the book. And one of the most important things, I think, to keep in mind is that the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians. More importantly, in my opinion, that they're Christians. That seems to be the the big, important point. And really, he's just, you know, these Christians are beleaguered in their faith. They've, They've grown discouraged. And And the writer really is trying to encourage them and and impel them, you know, to move forward in the Christian life. And he knows, though, that they have grown a bit sluggish. So throughout the book, he's going to intersperse some warnings, and he's going to tell them, look, you really need to listen to what I'm telling you, or, you know, potentially God could choose to enact discipline on you. And I think that's a really important backdrop to the entire book. And then particularly as you come to probably what are five warnings in the book, I really think they've got to be seen in that light. So the text you read in three and four, as I said, that's the longest warning. And it's the second one in the book. But I think that kind of sets up what's, what's going on here.
0: Yeah, and we were speaking about this earlier because um, there are several different views or what this rest could possibly be. And uh, strangely enough, these are all available. And I'm gonna do a quick commercial for you, Jerry. In your book, New Testament Life and Belief, a study of history, culture, and meaning. Um, we might put a link to the Amazon in our uh, show notes for that. Maybe get some a little bit of Amazon money coming your way. Right. Um, but in it, you refer, you have four different views on this. And I'll just share what these views are and we'll talk about each one and here's where you and I will differ a little bit but you know again we're, we stay friends. The first view is that this mean that this uh, idea or what's happening this rest that's being referred to in this passage is what we'd call a salvation rest and that's the rest and peace experienced by the unbeliever at the moment of salvation and uh, we approach that a little bit I would agree with you in this one that's not what's being referred to here mainly because of the Jewishness of this book that often gets overlooked when we're studying the book of Hebrews. We forget that this was written to Jewish Christians. They are Christians, but there's a, they're, they're a, there's a Jewishness, Jewish understanding that they have um, that this argument, that this is just a salvation rest, uh, it just doesn't um, have a lot of weight to it.
1: Yeah, and I, and I would interject that I don't think either one of us would say that, or would deny that one experiences a ses- sense of peace and rest when they're saved. Right. But but that's not the point. Uh, the point is what is meant in this text. Mm-hmm. So, I I think sometimes when we reject a view, people say, "Well, don't you think that?" Yeah, right. People, like, yeah, of course, they do. Right. But but the point is that's not what this text. I think. Plus. I think there's overwhelming evidence in the book itself that these are saved people Mm -hmm. in fact in verse one of chapter three he calls them partakers and he calls them brethren um so i think throughout the book you know that that's pretty much a given description of who they are so to me it would be a bit superfluous to be talking about salvation rest at this juncture
0: yeah. And that's what I find with people in, in my own study in book of Hebrews is a lot of times the verses or the, 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 I'm going to use the word proof text. The proof texts that are used to kind of debate on issues like eternal security and things like that often come from the book of Hebrews.
1: Yeah. that's right. And
0: because there's this misunderstanding that he's already talking to Christians, Jewish Christians. So all these passages about, like I said, rest, and drifting away, they're not about losing salvation. It's not about attaining something you don't already have. It's about something different in the Jewish mind for the Jewish Christian in 66 AD when this book was written. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the second view is, um, could be attached to the first, but it's a little bit deeper, uh, which, which this rest would be an eternal rest. And this is also known as heaven rest um, from the toil and weariness brought by the fall. And it's eliminated um, as the child of God enters the presence of God. So that, that's the rest that um, the author of Hebrews here is pointing to. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, again, I think that would be irrelevant to what the readers are experiencing. And as we move through these views, we'll, we'll note that there is a rich Old Testament background to what's taking place here. And um, at stake was not them dying and going to heaven.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that takes us to the last two views, and um, this is where we are. Um, and I'm at one, and, and you're at another, but let me start with mine, and then we'll end with yours so that our listeners know which one to follow. Um, so here we go. So, uh, you call it the millennial rest in your book, um, and it's the idea, it argues that the rest here is a reference to Christ's millennial kingdom. Um, in which we, which the Jewish Christians here in this passage of Hebrews, get to participate in the reign of Christ in the kingdom. Now, um, I'm going to give you, this, this is where I'm at currently. But again, as I said before going on the air, I, I'm really at this place. I'm kind of on a spectrum between this view and the last one. Um, but this is kind of where I am right now comfortably, and I'm open up to change. But I, I get this one because of all of the parallels that we just read um, in that passage in, in Hebrews 3 and in Hebrews 4 with Old Testament. Um, and the Old Testament is just littered with images of a the coming kingdom, the, the restoration of all things that's going to happen. So that here in 3 and 4, it's pointing to that. Um, he uses passages. As I read through this, I was reading an ESV. There's so many times he quotes from the Old Testament. He's quoting from places like... Um, psalm 95 he's calling places back all the way into exodus and in numbers um so he is using this this idea here of of what the the people were supposed to be going into so specifically like when the people go into uh as joshua is supposed to lead them into the promised land um and again you have that one group that chooses not to go so they have to water in the wilderness until that generation dies off. um And so then in verse um, 8 of chapter 4, he says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there is a a future day of rest. So where I'm at right now is that this is the millennial rest, uh, referring to that millennial kingdom when Christ returns.
1: Yeah, I had a, a very fine professor in seminary who took that position, and I can remember him vehemently arguing for that view in class. So really a lot of good people take that. Um, some of the objections I had in the, and then there were, he didn't write them, but then there were numerous articles that appeared in Bibliotheca Sacra, also arguing for the millennial view. So it has been strongly supported. One of my difficulties or just a few of them that, that came to mind, I remember listening to him was he, he, Later on in the in the Hebrews passage, he he's going to tell his readers to labor to enter into the rest. If they're saved, they're going and it's millennial, they're going to be in the millennium anyway. So there would be nothing for which to labor. And and as you go through the the warning, it, it seems to me that he's going to warn them about the possibility of missing the rest. And again, if they're truly saved, they won't miss millennial rest. So I guess that's kind of why I've morphed to the to the last view. There seems to be something that could be gained or lost that he is employing these um, his readers to do, but I agree with you there's no question that in the Old Testament, tons of data on the coming kingdom, and in fact, Psalm 95, from which uh, our Hebrews writer quotes, is an enthronement psalm mm-hmm so there's definitely that element found in the old testament
0: and i think one of the other reasons why I, i'm comfortable with this view right now because the rest of the book of hebrews also refers to you see the idea of christ being superior um christ is superior than to this and to that and specifically like the angels the law and all those things um but in all those arguments he it always ends up with a a fulfillment a time coming um so for example when Christ being superior to the angels, you know, when it talks about the angels will be, um, you know, it talks about him at his feet. We're talking about all these things have to do with Christ's second coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just, if I'm following the flow of argument, it it tends to me to be, to be at that place uh, specifically. And you mentioned the one part of um, where he says labor to enter uh, that rest. That's where I would kind of say, well, Uh, you know, you got Paul later in another book, Paul says, um, to work out your own salvational fear and trembling, not meaning that you have to work at your salvation, but rather to, to make it your aim to, to focus on what is your spiritual walk. And and so it could be the same idea that when he says, you know, strive to enter that rest, not so much that you have to work to earn it, but rather let this be something you're focusing on. You're focusing on that rest. You're not focusing on anything in the here and now you're focusing on what, to come. But, but let's hear your view, number four, um, the daily rest view.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the tag given to it a lot. I think a lot of what I rest on with this passage is the Old Testament background. And we've already mentioned Psalm 95. The writer also leans heavily on Numbers 13 and 14. And just to give people an idea of what's going on here, the exodus generation leaves egypt and they eventually make their way to the borders of the promised land and while they're at Kadesh barnea uh, you know they face this dilemma of going into the land knowing that there are some formidable enemies there and prior to this god had promised that he would defeat their enemies for them and yet They disbelieved God, and, you know, they were filled with fear, and they didn't want to go in. And God was so angry with that generation, He said, okay, you're not going to enter the land. And so Kadesh Barnea really becomes sort of a a watershed moment in their history, and essentially that entire generation dies off, and then God picks up with a new generation. So what had happened was, and And the writer of Hebrews talks about this. He he talks about the danger of departing from the living God. He talks about an evil heart of unbelief, of which even Moses and Aaron are accused of, of having a heart of unbelief in Numbers 20. And so what was at stake for the Kadesh Barnea generation was not being saved. It was not going to heaven. It was not entering the millennium, but rather it was enjoying the blessings in the land as they were obedient to God and it is my opinion that the writer of hebrews is drawing on that and he's telling his readers look you're at a spiritual kadesh barnea if you move ahead in faith there is rest there is blessing available to you now it is still available for you but if you disobey That is tantamount to departing from the living God, to apostatizing just like that Kadesh Barnea generation did. So I would see this as a a rest that was available to them at that time. Um, They were to labor to enter into it. They were to believe God. They were to move ahead in faith. I agree with you that that would have ramifications for the future kingdom, but I think in this particular warning um, they are given the opportunity that had been forfeited by their um predecessors.
0: Okay. So are you saying, and I'm gonna joke around with you a little bit, are you saying this is kind of an already not yet rest? <laughs> no? Okay.
1: See if it were anybody but you, I'd get mad at that. <laughs> That's what um, I figured. <laughs> but I know you I know you know me well enough. No, this is not an already not That's yet. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm doing. And for anybody our... it, Yeah, it's not a thing of them. Yeah, you know, entering some kind of kingdom now with one and still in the future, uh, but completely just this this life of obedience and faith that God would bless uh, in the meantime. Yep,
0: and so a lot of times when we study a passage like this, we look for an immediate application. Um, but again, if anybody's listening to us long, I kind of steer away from immediately going to an immediate application. I like to always, my application starts with two questions. One is what does this passage teach us about God? Because every word in scripture is about him. It's his journal, it's his diary, he's revealing himself. And then we apply that knowledge of God to us. And I think in both of these situations, whether you take my interpretation or your interpretation, we learn a lot of things about God here. Um, from I'm going to just use yours um, just to, to show charity here. From yours, I'm learning that that God is is concerned with, with rest in the here and now in the mm-hmm. sense that of the constant toil and the constant, um, uh, you know, the idea that for for example, having a peace that comes from obedience, if you want to use that term. Um, and so so with that, what I'm learning about God is, is that God does have a concern for that. He can maybe I could use the term He cares about my well being, my emotional stability, well being that comes from those kinds of rests, um, and that's a that's a real big blessing in a sense to me because sometimes I think, and guys who take my view or the other two could go that man, God's really more concerned with the future. No, uh, God's God's concerned right now with your life. You know, when He says in John chapter 10, He came that Christ came that they may have life, and that we may have it. More abundantly or to the full, it's not not just in the future. It's right now um, that that he's that he's come for, and we can have we can live an abundant life now as we submit to him, as we obey him, as we as we trust in him. I think that's really the key. As we rest in him, um, there's that. So I think what I'm learning from from your argument of this passage of what of something about God is God's concerned with with right now my my well being right now.
1: Yeah. One of the, the takeaways I have from this is, you know, I so relate to these readers of this book and it's so easy, you know, we've all been there. It's so easy to get discouraged in the Christian life. And, you know, sometimes you have those nagging issues. It's really hard to press forward because there isn't always an end to your problems on earth. And sometimes kind of easy just to, to lay back and kind of stagnate. And God is telling them, look, um, as dark as it may be for you, move ahead in faith and I will use you in a way and do things in your life that would not have happened had you just lagged back in unbelief. So, you know, they become an excellence example, you know, to always continue to move forward despite the pressures and, and God will be faithful. And, um, He will do things that maybe we didn't anticipate.
0: And then using the argument that I was um, putting forth that this is a millennial rest of the kingdom. What I'm learning about God in that passage is that that he's got, he is sovereign. He's in control of all things. And so whatever I'm enduring right now, whatever I'm experiencing right now, there there is a coming rest in that sense. Right. That this is something he's going to set things right. So as I I interpret this, I kind of resonate like you said, um, where I think the man who discipled me used to use the phrase, Don't let your roots get too deep in this earth. Mm. Meaning that don't get so caught up in the world's culture, the way things are and your own comfort that you forget that God's got a plan that might be different than yours. Mm. So be okay to let his plan be accomplished. And so, because that's where we're really going to find rest, right? It's not in any kind of uh, election. It's not going to, it's not any kind of legislature, it's, it's only found in Christ, specifically when he returns in the kingdom. And I like to use the phrase, I'm a kingdom guy. I look forward to that kingdom. Yeah. My boy wins. Um, it's exciting. You know, no matter every four years we have an election, no matter what happens, people get upset. But in the kingdom, there there's nothing to get our boy wins and it's going to be perfect. It's going to be right. And it's going to be the way it was intended to be.
1: And what's so neat about that, too, is when Jesus anticipates the kingdom in Matthew 6 and he tells his disciples um, uh, to pray, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, etc. What makes this earth more like hell than like heaven is there's so many wills being done, and you just look at government, and it doesn't matter who has won the election. I mean, look at, at this administration, or the previous one, or the one before that, or the one after it. There are always so many wills being done, and the neat thing about the coming kingdom is that there will only be one will done like it or not. And, uh, you know, there's not going to be any voting or anything, but there will be one will done Christ's will. And, um, man, that is just, I'm with you. That that's just, that's always on my radar every day. And that, that gets me through. So definitely need to keep that in mind. Yep.
0: Well, thanks again for submitting that question, listener. We appreciate that. You can always submit questions to us. You can email us at BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. You could also hit us up on Instagram or Twitter with our username at BibleGuysPod. Um, Make sure to like and subscribe um, uh, on your favorite listening station. So when you get new content as we release it, we do release our content every Friday morning at 8 o'clock to help with your commute. Good way to start off the weekend. For Jerry Hollinger, I'm Rick Kleiner. We'll see you next time.